And we are on air right now for NASCAR Weekend Preview with Hot Topic Sound Off. And this week we are previewing Richmond Raceway as well as Portland International Raceway. Joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Uh, thank you, Sharon. I got to give a shout out to uh, to Mike and Andy when they come on. How they say they've missed a couple weeks or hadn't been on in a while. I think I missed two shows, uh, maybe three, and I feel like I've been gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to be on tonight. It might still be just you and me for hot topics tonight. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm still waiting to hear from Tommy, so maybe Tommy will be able to join us tonight. Well, hopefully so. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so for tonight, in the first half hour, we are going to offer some updates from the Arkham Menard Series and the East Series, uh, and then we'll give a preview of the Arkham West Series at Portland uh, during that first half hour. At the top of the hour, we'll get into uh, the updates from the NASCAR Truck Series, and then we'll go right into the NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series at Richmond. I'm hoping that we have some time left over at the end that we can also give an update from our Fan for Racing Fantasy group as well. At 10 o'clock, it's time for NASCAR Hot Topics Sound Off. Uh, We'll try to do what we can do with whoever we have uh, during our Hot Topics tonight. I know we haven't had it the last couple of times, and uh, it's it's been just unavoidable, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, hopefully uh, we'll get a full Hot Topics in here with our Fan for Racing crew sometime real soon. Well, hopefully so. I know uh, we do have a lot of Hot Topics. It's not been a matter of uh, lack of topics. Uh, some of them still kind of <laughs> unknowns we still get to talk about. But uh, if not, the pressure will just keep building. We'll have a big show come Monday. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, so with that, uh, Jay, let's go ahead and get into uh, the NASCAR Hot Topics for tonight. Uh, not Hot Topics, but our updates from the Arkham Menards and Arkham Menards Series East. Uh, they actually are not racing this weekend, but next weekend is going to be a big weekend because it's going to be the Arkham Menards Series East season finale at Bristol Motor Speedway, and racing along with them will be the Arkham Menards Series, and They'll be also accumulating four points toward the Sioux Chief Showdown. All on September the 16th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, at Bristol Motor Speedway, the Bush's uh, Best 200, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So this is going to be a huge event. Uh, for all three of these series. Well, I knew it was a, the event was for all three championships, uh, the Arkham Menards, Arkham Menards East, and then the Sioux Chief Showdown points. I did not realize it was the final, actually, for the Arkham Menards East. I know we talk about the other series being in the playoffs already, and they have a shorter season. I guess that kind of snuck up on me there. I hate to see them end already. I know, me too. Uh, now, just a programming note uh, along with this, uh, since these races are Thursday night, we are going to do a podcast for our next two uh, Thursday night preview shows. Uh, so look for podcasts to be coming out 
uh, for the Thursday preview show on Wednesday, September the 15th, uh, sometime during that afternoon. And then also on the 22nd, we'll be doing a podcast that afternoon as well. Darker Menard Series West is actually going to be racing again on the 23rd of September. Uh, but I also have uh, some uh, personal uh, commitments that weekend that uh, are going to prevent me from doing the show on Thursday night. So uh, just, uh, again, watch for those to uh, be podcasts that will be put out on Wednesday afternoon so that we can preview those races that are happening on Thursday night. Okay, so this weekend, um, well, is there anything more that you want to say about the Arkham and Art Series and the East as well as the Sioux Chief Showdown? Maybe we could uh, go over the point standings for all three of those. Let's start with the Sioux, all right. Sioux well, Chief Showdown. All right, the Sioux Chief Showdown, that one's come down to – we got eight races in. Ty Gibbs is your leader by 13 points. Got a total of 338. Corey Heim, 325. And then you got Sad Moffitt and Nick Sanchez, the other two drivers that have run all eight of these Sioux Chief showdowns. Uh, so they're 204, or, uh, sorry, 45 points apart. Stat lines, as well as the regular uh, Arkham Menard series, Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim at the top. Gibbs has five wins, all eight top five finishes. Corey Heim has two wins and also has eight top tens, but only six of them top fives. And that's where your 13-point difference comes in. So very impressive season for those two, uh, especially Moffitt and Sanchez, six out of the eight races in the top ten. They are still in contention but they're going to have to up their game just a little bit there to hang with Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim. Yes, indeed. Uh, I think this is going to be a two-man battle, although it is within reach. Well, this is going to be race number nine uh, of ten, so there's really only two more races for the Sioux Chief Showdown. So uh, this is going to be a big one because this is winding down uh, it's only 10 races uh, for the season uh, of the Arca Sushi Showdown. So uh, this one's coming down to the wire, if you will, Jay. And that's it's going to be a position of not only good runs for, for Moffitt and Sanchez, but uh, unfortunately it would probably require a little bit of bad luck from both uh, Corey Heim and Ty Gibbs, and we just haven't seen that out of them this year. So, uh, it's going to be tough to overcome. Like you said, it's mathematically still possible, uh, but not likely unless there's a little bit of bad luck involved on the other end. Exactly. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the East because this is going to be the right. season finale. This will determine who the re- re- season championship is. This one, too, is uh, is not a mathematical lock at this point, but Sammy Smith in control out of seven races, has three wins, six top fives and six top tens, has given himself a 24-point cushion going into the final. Daniel Dye, the win he picked up was not here for the East Series, but has two top fives, seven of, all seven of his races have been top tens, but that still leaves him those 24-point shot. Now, third place, Mason Diaz, 
no wins, but three top fives and five top tens is 33 back. Joey East, four top fives and six top tens at 38 back. Max Gutierrez does have the one victory, but only two other top five, two top fives and five top tens is 40 back. Raja Karuth, uh, we had some news come out on him over the past couple of weeks, moving towards the Xfinity Series and main Arkham Menard Series. Seven races, two top fives, only four top tens is 45 back. Then to round out the top ten, Parker Retzlaff, six starts, one top five, four top tens is 77 points back. Taylor Gray has only made four starts, is 176 back. Ty Gibbs with the joint ventures, three races, three victories, uh, but still leaves him 196 out, did get him into the top ten. Your 10th place is Stephanie Moyer, five of the seven starts, two top tens at 197 out. So, again, it's a, okay, not a mathematical I- lock. But Sammy Smith would have to have a, have a rough race for uh, Daniel Dyer, Mason Diaz to really close in. Exactly. Uh, so, again, this is going to be a fun one to watch at Bristol Motor Speedway because, you know, a lot can happen at Bristol. Uh, but before you get into the Arkham and Art Series standings, uh, I just want to say that uh, we have heard now from Tommy, and Tommy is going to be able to join us for Hot Topics tonight. So it will be three of us. All right, good deal. And before we do the preview for the West, yeah, we'll hit the main Arcus series. Two man for between the two. Jay, you're you're coming in and out. We're not getting a steady stream there. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened, but it's it's just bits and pieces that we're hearing. All right, uh, seven, nine of the times. The stat line, 16 out of 17 top fives to include 16 top tens. And Corey Heim, 14 top fives, but all 17 in the top ten. I believe I read his worst finish is seventh. It is a biggest points lead we've seen, 16 points from Ty Gibbs down to Corey Heim. Third and fourth, there you find Thad Moffitt and Nick Sanchez at minus 257 and minus 278. Again, two races down. Brad Smith has made 16 starts but doesn't have any top tens at minus 384. So that one is really a two-man show, and I would not want to be betting on between those two. of Corey Himes and Ty (laughs) Gibbs, they've been back and forth all year long. Oh, yeah, and expect it to be more of the same. Uh, at Bristol next weekend. Uh, that, again, it's going to be a it's going to be a hotly contested race. Uh, these guys are not on their final race yet. Uh, Would you say 17 races in? They only have three more left. So this season is also winding down. Yeah, they got three more, and and like I said, the, the swapping back and forth between the two. This is, uh, I think, the 16 point. Lead has been the biggest for any of the drivers. It's always been about single digits, as low as one to seven about. Yes, indeed. Okay, so uh, definitely uh, tune in for that on September the 16th. That is a Thursday night, and uh, you'll want to tune in on FS1 uh, to watch those races. Okay, now then... um, 
the Portland 112 uh, will be run by the Arkham and Art Series West on Saturday, September the 11th. Uh, and actually, all of our races are going to be run on Saturday this week. Uh, so that's kind of interesting as well. The time will be 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern time, and it will be uh, streamed live on TrackCast NBC Sports Gold. For those that don't have that uh, subscription, you can also listen to the radio at ArcaRacing.com to follow along with what's happening at the racetrack. Now, this is a 12-turn, 1.967-mile road course. Uh, for the ARCA West, so that's going to make it interesting. Uh, they're going to be racing 57 laps to cover a distance of 112 miles. Now, Friday, September the 10th, they'll have practice at 2 p.m. with a final practice at 3.50 p.m., and then Saturday, September the 11th, there will be qualifying as well at 10 35 a.m., and then the race, as we mentioned earlier, is 5 p.m. Pacific. That would be 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. So uh, definitely mark this one on your calendar to follow along because it's going to be an all-out uh, race here on the road course in the Arca West. And we are guaranteed to get a new road course winner here in the West Series this season, as Chase Briscoe, who is a NASCAR Cup Series regular, won the West Series at Sonoma Raceway in June and is not entered in Saturday's field. And that leaves the door to victory open for West Series regulars. You've got to start at the top, and that would be defending series champion Jesse Love as he enters this sixth race of the, Western, uh, the West season as the points leader. We'll get, cover this later, but right now he's got an 11-point edge on Bill McAnally teammate Cole Moore in second. Jake Drew and Todd Souza tied for 13 or tied for third. They're both 14 points back. Now, given given his brief uh, but successful history at the road courses in the West Series, Love will look to look at the Portland 112 as a chance to strengthen his advantage in that title race. The 16-year-old has a win and two top five finishes in three road courses starts dating back to last season. Okay, and uh, before I get into more here, I want to also mention uh, these guys are going to be on the stage with the NTT IndyCar Series as well because they are racing the same weekend at Portland International Raceway. So that's kind of cool as well. Okay. Um, now, given his brief but successful history at World Courses, uh, I'm sorry, you already got into that. Moore, on the other hand, has one top ten finish and three road course races in the West Series. So Drew Moore, uh, Drew's seventh-place run this season at Sonoma marks his only road course start. Souza, of course, has plenty of experience in the West Series on the road course. He has 12 top 10 finish in 26 road course starts, dating back to 2006. Souza also is one of just three drivers in the field this Saturday that have experience in a West Series car at Portland. He actually finished eighth, 13th, and 23rd at Portland in 2009, 10, and 11, respectively. 
there's three other drivers. Uh, there's a few other drivers here that we'll talk about as well, Jay. That would be Dave Smith and Tim Spurgeon. Uh, they're the others in the Portland 112 field who have experience at the track, with each of them having one start. Now, one driver, Caleb Costner, he'll be making his debut on the ARCA platform Saturday at Portland. The Dallas, North Carolina native uh, will race for Joe Nava's performance P1 Motorsports. We'll take a look at the uh, whole entry list here in just a second. Yeah, there's quite a few people on this list. We can go bottom up if you want, two by two. You want me to start? All right. All right, go ahead. Okay. In the 08 is Stafford Smith from Thousand Oaks, California. He'll be driving a Ford for Mike Hollering, and Mike Hollering will be his crew chief. Also, Mario Izola uh, for McAnally Racing uh, will be on top of the pit box for Cole Moore in the 99. He hails from Orangevale, California, and he'll be driving that McAnally Toyota. And in the 88, Burgess owned, Sarah Burgess listed as the owner of Chevrolet, as well as crew chief. That'll be Bridges, Bridget Burgess out of Tule, Utah, with the HMN Construction, and as well as remembering 911. Mentioned the 86 of Tim Spurgeon. He comes out of Danville, California, listed as the car owner as well. Mike David will be the crew chief of that Keen Blast Abrasives, David's Racing Products, Chevrolet. Okay, we just mentioned him, Caleb Costner in the number 77 from Dallas, North Carolina. He'll be driving that Joe Nava Toyota with Dave McKenzie on top of his pit box. And in the 68 is Rod Nealon from Sonoma, California. He'll be driving uh, the Rod Nealon Chevrolet, and uh, not sure yet who that crew chief is going to be. One of the title contenders still in contention to mention the 54. That'll be Joey East in the Mike Knocky Ford coming out of Madero, California, sponsored by AG Center 59 and Bazilla Farms. Mike Holler and another owned Ford there in the 38 of Dave, Spit, Dave Smith come out of Novato, California. Do not have a crew chief listed as of yet. Okay. In the number 33, uh, for Paul Pedrincelli will be P.J. Pedrincelli from Sonoma, California. And he'll be driving their Toyota. And Ty Joyner is the crew chief. In the number 31 will be Paul Pedrincelli from Sonoma, California. He'll be driving their Chevrolet. And his crew chief is yet to be announced. Coming out of Phoenix, Arizona, that'll be the Bobby Hillis-owned Chevrolet driven by Bobby Hillis. Number 27, Ed Ashel, crew chief at First Impression Press, VD Projects Machine. And then Chad Johnston on the box for the 17 of Taylor Gray. Comes out of Mooresville, North Carolina. Be driving the Ripper Coffee Ford for David Gillen. Now, I do want to just mention here real quick, I did see on Twitter earlier today, Bobby Hillis Jr. and his appearance in this race is in jeopardy. He's out of his uh, crew chief, as well as his father is out due to protocol for COVID. 
And so he's looking for somebody to fill those spots so that they can still race uh, this Saturday. So uh, look for it on Twitter. It's from Bobby Hillis Jr. And uh, if you're able to help out, uh, there's some contact information there uh, for how you can uh, contact them and let them know that you're able to help out. So uh, hopefully they will be able to race. Okay, and the number 16 for Jesse Love and the Bill McAnally Toyota. Jesse hails from Redwood City, California, and he'll have uh, Travis Sharp on top of his thick pit box. Michael Munoz will be on top of the pit box for Todd Souza from Aromas, California. He'll be driving their number 13 Toyota. Mentioned Jake Drew having some experience here. The number nine Ford of Bob Brincotti comes out of Fullerton, California for that Sunrise Ford. And Lucas Oil, Velo USA Offset Sport. Jeff Schrader will be the crew chief. And then the international flavor, Takuma Koga, back from Nagoya, Japan, be in the number seven Toyota, Jerry Pitts, owned and crew chief, sponsored by Loop Connect. Okay, and the final two drivers is the number six of Trevor Huddleston uh, from Agora Hills, California. He'll be in that Sunrise Ford for Bob Boonkati. Bill Sedgwick will be his crew chief. Now, uh, this last driver, I know uh, Sal mentioned him on the show Monday night as a driver racing and somebody to keep your eye on this weekend. Uh, in the number four is Eric Nascimento. Uh, from Manteca, California, he'll be in their Toyota, and Mike Nascimento will be his crew chief. So uh, keep your eye on uh, what he's able to do this weekend in Portland. I believe that gave us 18, uh, 18 entrants, if I counted there correctly, as we went through them. Uh, big race, big race for them in Portland. It is. Now, if you're not able to watch this race or follow along on the live streaming on TrackPass or ARCAracing.com, do set your VCR because there will be a delayed broadcast of this race on NBC Sports Network this Saturday, September the 18th. All right, this Saturday, September the 18th at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, so this is one that you'll have to set up on the VCR uh, so that uh, you'll be able to watch it later. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a good one. Uh, road course races uh, have just become uh, so much fun uh, to watch and keep your eyes on. So, uh, again, Portland International Raceway this weekend for the Arkham Art Series West. Uh, let's look at their point standings real quick. Well, and there's something you want to keep your eye on. You mentioned from 1st down to 11th, Dean Thompson, the 11th spot, uh, has only started four races but does have a top five, is 56 points out. And as we slide up, going from the bottom to the top, 10th place, just mentioned Bobby Hillis Jr., right now does have the all five starts. If he's able to continue that, uh, be one of only 10 drivers to make all the starts. But he's 54 points back, tied with Takuma Koga in ninth. Bridget Burgess is in eighth at 47 back. Trevor Huddleston in seventh is 40, 
27 back. 20. Sorry. Yep, there we go. Trevor Huddleston, 27 points back. Uh, it's as far back as 7-6 as Joey East has a victory. Three top fives and three top tens in the five starts is only 21 points back. Paul Pedronicilli Jr. is 20 points back. And you get up to the top four, Todd Souza. Uh, five starts, one top five, all five top tens tied for third at 14 points back. Jake Drew, the other one in the tie there, three top fives, four top tens. And then Cole Moore mentioned 11 points back, three top fives, four top tens, almost identical stat line to Jesse Love, except Jesse has the two victories. So there we've talked about some point stand, or points uh, championships that have all but been mathematically determined. This one is wide open all the way through 10th and 11th spot. Yep. Yep, it's still up for grabs. And uh, they have a few more races left, too. They're, they're just past the halfway mark of their season. So uh, they will have some more racing to watch here in the West uh, for sure. So, uh, again, this is going to be a big one, though, on the road course because, again, a lot of things can happen uh, with these guys out on the road course. Uh, it certainly can. We've seen that uh, hold true on many of the road courses. We've watched some great side-by-side and positioning battles as they race, and then the occasional off-track excursion, which can affect everything. It sure can. Uh, it sure can. Uh, so just a couple of the starting fields is limited to 20-plus provisional positions. The event will be run under the 2021 Arkham and Art Series West rules and procedures, regulations, and specifications. The starting lineup will be set by the fastest recorded lap during the qualifying session results plus provisionals. Uh, the brake pitting procedure, uh, the, they'll be braking at or near the conclusion of lap 29. No adding or moving tires to or from the pit box after the race has started. The maximum tire allotment available for this event uh, is uh, for tire use in the event is 12. Uh, per the ARCA rulebook, the maximum number of tires allowed in the pit box for use in the race is actually four. So in the event of wet conditions, the general tire SC wet radio tires may be used on all four corners. So, uh, so for the event, they'll have tires for the practice and qualifying with only four tires, not 12 for the weekend, but only four of those tires can be used during the race. That's one of the things I find personally find really interesting about these Arkham Menard East and West and the Arkham Menard series is that tire management strategy when it comes to situations like this. Uh, and we've seen that as how much it helps drivers as they move up through the other series and their development, I think, is a big thing. It is. It truly is. Okay, I know we're a couple of minutes ahead of schedule here, but we're going to go ahead and get into the NASCAR Camping Road Truck Series. Uh, they are not racing this weekend. Uh, however, they will be racing next Thursday night. As we mentioned earlier, the UNOH 200 presented by Ohio Logistics, and that's at Bristol Motor Speedway, Thursday, September the 16th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8.30 p.m. is when the pre-race coverage will begin 
on Fox Sports 1. Uh, we will preview that on our podcast next Wednesday. So, again, watch for that podcast to be coming out Wednesday afternoon. Okay, so what do we have for the uh, truck series? A few updates here. Well, we'll talk about Nemechek as he is going to be racing in Richmond. The NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoff driver, John Hunter Nemechek, isn't taking the weekend off, but instead he'll be piloting the number 26 Sam Hunt Racing Toyota at Richmond Raceway for the Go Bowling 250. It'll be on Saturday at 2.30 Eastern. Mentioned it'll be on NBCSN, MRN, and Sirius XM Radio. Now, this will be Nemechek's second Xfinity start for Sam Hunt Racing for the season. He's made three Xfinity Series starts at Richmond Raceway, posting one top 10 and an average finish of 11.7. Oh, that's very cool. Okay, uh, now they have two races in uh, in the NASCAR Truck Series. So next week at Bristol Motor Speedway is going to be the first round of the 2021 Truck Series playoffs uh, that will come to a close, and two of the 10-driver playoff field will be eliminated. So two drivers have already locked themselves into the round of eight, leaving just six spots available among the remaining eight drivers. So drivers that have already clinched, we mentioned it earlier, Sheldon Creed, winning the first two races in this round, and then John Hunter Nemechek clenching his spot based on his points position. Now, he's the regular season champion, so those extra 15 points really helped him a lot. Now, uh, these drivers can clinch up based on points if there is a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round. The following drivers can clinch by being ahead of the eighth winless driver in the standings. Uh, it's the same points requirements listed below hold true if a new win comes from among John Hunter Nemechek, Matt Crafton, Stuart Friesen, Ben Rhodes, Todd Gilliland, Carson Hosevar, or Austin Hill. Now, Matt Crafton will need 21 points uh, to clinch. Stuart Friesen needs 23 points. Ben Rhodes, 41 points. Todd Gilliland can clinch with 45 points, Carson Hosevar with 48 points, Austin Hill with 51 points. Now, the two drivers that are in jeopardy are Zane Smith. They can only clinch with a win along with Chandler Smith. It's the same scenario. They're below the cut line right now. They're the most vulnerable, and they're going to need a win at Bristol in order to get into uh, the next round. Now, if there's a new winner from Zane Smith or another winless driver lower in the standings still eligible to advance to the next round, the following drivers can clinch by being ahead of the seventh winless driver in the standings. Uh, again, Matt Crafton would need 25 points, Stuart Friesen 27 points, Ben Rhodes 47 points, Todd Gilliland 50 points, Carson Hosefar. 52 points, and Austin Hill, 55 points. Again, Zane Smith and Chandler Smith uh, can only clinch with some help. That's if somebody has a bad day or if they can actually get out there and get a win. Um, these drivers can clinch on a win alone. 
that's Matt Crafton, Stuart Friesen, Ben Rhodes, Todd Gilliland, Carson Hosevar, Austin Hill, Zane Smith, and Chandler Smith. So uh, there are your Clint scenarios for Bristol Motor Speedway next week. Jay, do you have the mute button on? You talked about it uh, there, Kyle Busch Motorsports, John Hunter Nemechek moving on to the next round on points. All those regular season wins and additional playoffs are paying dividends, starting to pay dividends for John Hunter Nemechek in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoff. With that runner-up finish this weekend at Darlington, he's already clinched his spot into the round of eight on points making a next weekend at Bristol a breeze, if you will. Nemechek has been the class of the field this season. He's posted five wins, which was the series most, 10 top fives, and 13 top tens. Next weekend at Bristol, expect Nemechek to run up front again. He has made six series starts at Bristol, posting three top fives and five top tens. His average finish at Thunder Valley is an impressive 8.7. Yep, that's pretty good. Now, Sheldon Creed, as we mentioned as well, uh, has really been racking up some more playoff points as he goes for the round of 10 sweep. Uh, GMS Racing's Creed has been unstoppable this season in the truck series, taking the first two uh, playoff races at Gateway and Darlington. Uh, and there's only three in the round of 10. So now the California is looking to become the first driver in series history to sweep the playoff round uh, with a hopefully another victory next week at Bristol Motor Speedway in the UNOH 200 presented by Ohio Logistics. So in 17 starts this season, Creed has produced three wins, eight top and nine top tens. His average finish is 13.1, and he has led 304 laps. Creed's made two series starts at Bristol Motor Speedway. He does have one top 10 finish there. That was a sixth-place finish in his debut at the track, and he also finished 11th there last season. So that's pretty much what we have here for the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, we've gone through the clinch scenarios. Uh, I don't know that that necessarily gives us the points. Uh, maybe we should cover the points here for the truck series since we've got plenty All of time. Right. <laughs> All right. I mentioned Sheldon Creed currently at the top of the list at 2,128 and does have 24 playoff points built up. He's only two points at Nemechek, who is also clinched. He's at 2,126 and has 50 playoff points built up. Then you get Matt Crafton. He's at 2094, 36 points behind the uh, lead, and only has four playoff points. Stuart Friesen, 2092, uh, has one playoff point. Ben Rhodes at 2074, has 19. Todd Gillen is at 2070, has 15 playoff points built up. Carson Hosevar, here's where we're going to get into uh, the cut line. Carson Hosevar is at 2067, has two playoff points. Austin Hill has, uh, is at 2064, has 21 points. And Zane Smith and Chandler Smith 
Sharon mentioned they're the ones below the cut line right now at 2059 and 2052, respectively. Zane has nine points built up if he advances, whereas Chandler Smith only has a one. So you're looking at the cut line, the two Smiths. Uh, Zane needs to pick up five points to Austin Hill, whereas Chandler would have to pick up 12 over that driver as well as Leap Zane. So Bristol's going to be huge, and then we're going to be down to eight dri- or sorry, eight. ten drivers. No, eight. Yeah, no, there you go, eight. There we go. They, what, they do theirs by two and four, two in the first round and four in the second round. That's what it is to get to our final four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's only – they'll have eight drivers uh, going into that round of eight, and then four of those drivers will be eliminated at the end of the round of eight. I mean, Sheldon Creed's do, doing – I mean, he was in a good position anyway, but coming out and winning races – Again, he's building up more of the playoff points just to ensure if he has a hiccup, he should be able to fall back on that a little bit, just like we've seen uh, John Hunter Nemechek. He had a hiccup at Gateway, still got a second place at Darlington, but already advancing into that next round. Uh, So that's the importance of those playoff points showing up huge there for uh, John Hunter Nemechek. Yes, and another, I mentioned this on Monday, but I'll mention it again here tonight. The other place to watch, though, it's not going to all be with the playoff drivers. You want to see who's going to end up in that 11th place spot uh, because they can't advance any, the drivers that are 11th and lower cannot advance any higher uh, than that. Grant Infinger has that spot pretty securely right now, but if he runs into trouble, at Bristol, uh, it could put that uh, position up for grabs. So that's something to keep your eye on as well. And we, you know all the rest of the drivers, Grant Infinger on down. You see Derek Krause, Johnny Sauter, Tylen Ankrum, just from what I can see on my sheet here. They're all still looking for a race win, finish out the, the season strong. Yeah. I know they kind of get added as the also-rans throughout the playoff coverage. But you're right, they're still battling for that top spot as well as victories. Yes, 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 indeed. Okay, we are ahead of our schedule here, but we are going to go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series. As I mentioned earlier, I'm hoping that we have a little time left over uh, to get into our uh, fantasy group and that Jay can give us an update there. So, And we have a lot to cover in both the Xfinity and the Cup Series because they are both racing this weekend. Now, the Xfinity Series will be racing their Go Bowling 250 at Richmond Raceway on Saturday, September the 11th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The pre-race coverage will start at 2 p.m., on NBC Sports Network, and radio coverage is available at MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. Uh, They'll be racing a distance of 187.5 miles, over 250 laps. Uh, The first two stages are 75 laps each, with stage one ending on lap 75, stage two on lap 150, and the last stage will be 100 laps and we'll end on lap 250. Uh, So what do we have there in the Xfinity Series, Jerry? 
Well, for Richmond, we're going to highlight a second career start, and that's for Ogata. Okanori Ogata making his second career Xfinity Series start at Richmond Raceway on Saturday. He'll be in the number 52 Jimmy Means Racing Chevrolet. Ogata has competed in three NASCAR Camping World Truck Series races this season for the Reum Brothers Racing. His best finish uh, was earlier this season at Charlotte Motor Speedway, where he finished 28. In 2018, he made a start for MBM Motorsports and finished 33rd. This will be the first start since then. The reason to highlight it, Agata is the only driver from Japan to make a start in this NASCAR Xfinity Series all time. So that's really cool. Oh, that is very cool. Okay, we've been keeping an eye on the rookie class in the Xfinity Series. It's been Ty Gibbs and Josh Berry. Uh, as the stars this year in that rookie class uh, there in the Xfinity Series. The two drivers have uh, both competed part-time and have gone back and forth with the lead ever since the start of the season. So uh, currently, the up-and-coming driver, Ty Gibbs, has eight awards and 447 points, holding the lead on Barry, who is in second place at 435 points, and six awards. Both Gibbs and Barry are entered this weekend at Richmond, so we'll see how they finish and how it affects the Rookie of the Year competition. Gibbs has made 12 starts this season. He has three wins, eight top fives, eight top tens, and one pole award. Barry, on the other hand, has run 17 of the 24 races this season. He has the one win, five top fives and ten top ten. Ryan Vargas, who sits in third, has four awards. Jade Buford in fourth. Uh, Sam Mayer is in fifth. Every driver in the rookie standings has won at least one award this season. So that's kind of cool to hear uh, that everybody uh, has won at least one award. It is. We have seen, uh, even though they're at the bottom, I know Sam Mayer getting his starts here in the latter half of the season, seen some great runs for him. I think it was two weeks in a row maybe that Jade Buford was with the top rookie that yeah. we highlighted him. So nice to see that. Quite the mixture there amongst all five. Yes, indeed. Now we'll look at uh, the manufacturer standings outlook after Darlington. Uh, we've been looking at the playoff standings uh, with another win to their name, though. Chevrolet holds the lead for the Manufacturers' champion, Championship as well. Uh, Chevrolet has 10 wins, total of 882 points, while Toyota has 9 wins and 860 points. So they're 22 points behind Chevrolet. Ford does have 5 wins and 798 points, uh, putting them... What, 84 points back. So all three do have wins, uh, Ford with five, Toyota nine, Chevrolet ten. It's kind of been a battle between Chevy and Toyota, but uh, Ford, I believe they have one team with uh, two different drivers, I think. So they're still hanging. Yeah, yeah, Ford is still hanging in there with them. Okay, time's going to run out on the regular season here for the Xfinity Series. Uh, They just have two races left. In their regular season, three playoff positions are still up for grabs, uh, but there are nine drivers that have secured their spot in the Xfinity Series playoffs heading into this weekend at Richmond. Uh, those 
nine drivers that have uh, clinched their spot are A.J. Allmendinger, Austin Sindrick, Justin Allgauer, Daniel Hemrick, Harrison Burton, Justin Haley, Noah Gregson, Jeb Burton, and Myatt Snyder. Now, these drivers could clinch on points if there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the playoffs. Uh, so they following drivers are going to need 56 points of driver in the standings. Uh, and the same point requirements would hold true if a new win comes from among Daniel Hamrick, Harrison Burton, Jeremy Clements, or Brandon Jones. So those two drivers are Jeremy Clements uh, is going to need some help, as will Brandon Jones. Uh, but they're, they're going to need that 56 points. Uh, to do it. If there's a new winner from Riley Earps or another winless driver lower in the standings, uh, but still eligible to advance to the playoffs, uh, these drivers could clinch by being just 56 points above the fourth winless driver in the standings. And that's Jeremy Clements again, uh, who's still going to need some help in order for that to happen. Uh, these drivers are, can do it on a win alone. That's Jeremy Clements, Brandon Jones, Riley Erbst, Ryan Sieg, and Brandon Jones. Uh, also, uh, with some help, uh, Tommy Joe Martins, Josh Williams, Landon Castle, and Alex LeBay uh, would certainly need a win, but they would also need to have some of the other drivers to really have a bad day. Uh, the regular season championship could be clinched by the following drivers with uh, a little bit of help, and that's A.J. Allmendinger. So we'll have to watch and see what happens uh, with him at uh, this race at Richmond this weekend. Right now, uh, <clears throat> a lot of these guys uh, are doing pretty good. Uh, again, we've covered the drivers who have clinched on wins. Uh, the ones that can clinch on points, Daniel Hemrick and Harrison Burton, and the guys who really need a win to get in, uh, Jeremy Brandon Jones and Raleigh Earps. Those drivers below the cut line are Michael Annette and Ryan Sieg, as well as Brian Brown. Uh, Brian Brown being 103 points out, Michael Annette 46 points out. So with Noah Gregson's win just last weekend, he was able to punch his ticket into the playoffs, so there are only three spots that are up for grabs now in the Xfinity Series. Uh, those spots right now are occupied by Jeremy Clements, Brendan Jones, and Ryan, Riley Earps. A.J. Allmendinger also took over the point standings for Lawson Sendrick, who led the Ray most of the season after his runner-up finish at Daytona two weekends ago. Sendrick finished 39th at Daytona, after being involved in a wreck early in the race, while Almondinger finished in the runner-up. However, Sendrick was able to fight back and made it get only a one-point difference after his third-place finish at Darlington last weekend, while A.J. ran into some late-race issues. So we'll have to see what they do at Richmond, uh, but those are your clinch scenarios here for the Xfinity Series. <clears throat> Well, and that is going to be quite the battle for that regular season championship. Let's take a little closer look at it as it's an intense battle. I mentioned Team Penske's Austin Sindrick with the 39th at Daytona two weekends ago. 
And then College Racing's A.J. Allmendinger finishing runner-up that battle for that regular season championship in the NASCAR Xfinity Series tightened up. Now, last weekend with the Darlington Raceway, it got even closer as Sindrick took advantage of Allmendinger's late race issue and closed that points gap to just one with only two races now remaining in the regular season. Sindrick finished third while Allmendinger ended up 20th. Now, with only two races are left for one of them to lock up that regular season championship, and they would add the playoff 15 additional playoff bonus to go along with that. We mentioned in the truck series how important that is. Now, prior to losing the NASCAR Xfinity Series driver standings lead two weeks ago at Daytona, Austin Sindrick had held that number one spot all season long. Sindrick won the regular season championship last season, looking and is looking to become the first driver to win multiple regular season titles. So since its inception, we'll look back each one to having, having one uh, regular season champion, Austin Sindrick last year, Tyler Reddick the year before in 2018, it was Justin Algar. And back in 2017, it was Elliot Sadler. Uh, Almendinger only has one Xfinity series start at Richmond, and that was in 2007. He started 12th and finished 14th. Sindrick, however, has six starts at Richmond since 2018, has posted four top fives, including two runner-up finishes and five top tens. His average start is 6.5, and the average finish is right there as well at 6.0. Okay. Well, I know this was uh, the first pick out of the gate for the Xfinity Series in our fantasy group. Uh, He's back again. Dale Earnhardt Jr. comes out of the TV booth to go racing at Richmond. Uh, So he gets behind the wheel of a race car to compete in the Xfinity Series event this weekend. Earnhardt, who is also an analyst, in the NBC booth, retired from full-time racing in 2017. Well, each year he's returned for one race a season, piling a, a Chevrolet from his own junior motorsports camp since 2018. In 2018, he ran Richmond Raceway. In 19, he ran at Darlington Raceway. And last season, he ran at Homestead Miami Speedway. The two-time Xfinity Series champion has 142 series starts with 24 victories, 70 top fives, 94 top tens, and 10 pole awards. His most recent win in the series was in 2016 at Richmond. So Richmond has been a really good place for Earnhardt. He likes to race there. In his eight Xfinity Series starts at the track, he has four wins. He has six top fives and seven top tens. He's led 829 laps and has an average finish there of 6.4. So to recognize the 20th anniversary of 9-11 attacks, the number eight junior motorsports Chevrolet will recognize those lost during the attacks with a special United for America paint scheme with their longtime partner, Unilever. Now, the scheme will mirror the 9-11 Memorial and Museum's tribute in light, a powerful tradition that began in 2002 in New York. From dawn to dusk, 
twin beams extend four miles into the sky above Manhattan, reflecting the shape and orientation of the Twin Towers. The number eight blue and white scheme will feature four spotlights, each representing the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and the Flight 92 Memorial Site. So uh, good to see Dale Jr. back behind the wheel this weekend. Uh, and that's an awesome paint scheme that they're that they're doing for that as well as as far as the memorial. Yes, indeed. Now we're going to look back at Richmond by the numbers. Last season, the NASCAR Xfinity Series visited Richmond's raceway twice, and Justin Allgaier swept both races at the .75 mile track for Junior Motorsports. And this weekend is looking to become just the third driver in series history to win three consecutive races at Richmond. That would join Harry Gant, who uh, swept in 1991 and then the 92 spring race, as well as Kevin Harvick, who did it in the 2000 fall race and then swept in 2006. And this weekend marks the first visit to the Virginia track for the series in 2021 and the 75th race in NASCAR Xfinity Series history at the three-quarter mile track. The previous 74 Xfinity Series races at Richmond have produced 39 different pole winners and 36 different race winners. Kyle Busch holds the record for the youngest pole winner in 2004 when he was 19 years old, no months and 12 days. Harry Gant, on the other end, holds the record as the oldest pole winner at age 48 years, eight months and no days, when he did it in 1988. Both Kyle Bush and Gant also hold records for the youngest winner, uh, Bush in 2004, and Gant the oldest winner in 1992 when he was 52 years old. Now, only 15 races in the history have been won from the pole or first starting position, most recently done by Christopher Bell in 2018. In the last Xfinity Series race at Richmond in 2020, There were 36 cars entered in the race, and 33 of them were running at the finish. 14 of those were on the lead lap. There were a total of nine lead changes, six different leaders, and five cautions for a total of 29 laps. And Algar, who is the race winner, led 135 laps. The margin of victory was 2.185 seconds. Okay. Now, we mentioned it earlier, I think. If not, we'll mention it now. Uh, there's only two races remaining before the Xfinity Series playoffs begin. Noah Grayson wasn't a lock into the playoffs until this past weekend at Darlington when he won his first race of the season by only a few days after announcing that he would be returning to junior motorsports for the 2022 season. Now, Grayson, who is sitting above the cut line in ninth, has now officially punched his ticket into the playoffs, which means that there were only three spots up for grabs in the 12-driver field. Now, the win marked the third of Gregson's career as he took the checkered flag on lap 152 at the end of the only overtime event. Now, Harrison Burton locked himself into the playoffs two weekends ago on points. He finished runner-up to Gregson and Austin Sindrick finished in third place. Justin Haley, Jeb Burton, Justin Algauer, Tyler Reddick, Jeremy Clements, Myatt Snyder, 
and Alex LeBay round out the rest of the top ten. Now, Brandon Jones, one of the drivers fighting for a spot on the playoff field, he actually struggled at Darlington very early and ended up finishing in 33rd place. He was the slowest finishing driver in the playoff picture this So this weekend, the series now heads to Richmond for the Gold Bowling 250 on Saturday, September the 11th. The race, again, is 187.5 miles over 250 laps. This weekend's starting lineup is decided by the metric qualifying, and because of that, Austin Sendrick is going to lead the field to green on Saturday with Harrison Burton joining him on that front row. Gregson will start third, and with Haley and Allgauer rounding out the top five starting positions. So interesting stuff there in the Xfinity series. Um, Two more races. We've got this one at uh, Richmond, and then Bristol is going to be their cutoff race. It's going to be kind of dicey, I think, over both of these events. Oh, I think you're right there. Uh, We know what Bristol, Bristol provides. Richmond, maybe not quite as what they call the bull in a china shop, but still provides some great racing action. Yes, indeed, and uh, we'll have a lot to look forward to at Richmond this weekend. Again, it's going to be a full day of racing because all of these races take place on Saturday. Um, Next up, we're going to go ahead and get into the uh, Cup Series. Again, there's a lot to cover here, so we might as well go ahead and do it now, and hopefully we can get it all done and have that time left over. Okay, the Federated Auto Parts 400 Salute to First Responders will be at Richmond Raceway this Saturday, September the 11th, starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Pre-race coverage will be on NBC Sports Network starting at 7. Now, MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Channel 90 will carry the radio coverage. They'll be racing a distance of 300 miles over 400 laps. Uh, The first stage ends on lap 80, the second stage ends on lap 235, and the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 400. So uh, what do we have here to start with on the cup side? Well, as we talk about the seasons coming to an end, we're all going to talk about 2022. An open team, Beard Motorsports, set to return in 2022. It was this week that Beard Motorsports became the first non-chartered team, uh, NASCAR Cup Series team, to announce its intention to compete in the 64th running of the Daytona 500, which will be on February 20th at Daytona International Speedway. The organization was founded by the late Mark Beard Sr. and now run by his wife, Linda Beard, and has procured procured a next-gen chassis for its use in 2022. Plans are for the number 62 Beard Oil Distributing Chevrolet to compete in subsequent races at Daytona and its sister track, Talladega, Alabama, Super Speedway. A driver has not yet been determined. Uh, Pretty sure it won't be Brandon gone, but you never know. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right there. Okay, also 2311 Racing announced uh, this week that Steve LaLetta 
is going to be their team president. Uh, They announced the veteran motorsports executive who has served as interim president since the team's formation last year has now been named that team's president. Uh, Loretta joined 2311 Racing after a tenure ended in 2018. He's a graduate graduate of the University of Notre Dame, and Loretta previously worked in sports marketing with the Miller Brewing Company. He continues to successfully run his own sports marketing consulting company, Pigeon Sports Marketing, which launched in, launched in 2018. So uh, congratulations to Steve LaLetta. Uh, he's been there doing it uh, as the interim president, but now it's official that he is the president. I about, I about when I went into shock when I first saw that because I really thought it said Steve Latar, <laughs> but I had to oh, take oh a closer goodness. look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Some other news that came out, the NASCAR Hall of Fame class of 2021 has been uh, slated for January 21st for their induction. NASCAR Hall of Fame and NASCAR are pleased to announce that the class of 2021 induction ceremony will take place in Charlotte on Friday, January 21st, 2022. The ceremony, which was originally scheduled for February 5th of 2021, was postponed due to the uncertainty surrounding COVID-19. The inductees include Dale Earnhardt Jr., Red Farmer, Mike Stefanik, and the Landmark Award recipient, Ralph Seagraves. They'll all be honored as part of a weekend full of activities and events. The tickets will go on sale October 7th. To celebrate the class of 2021, the NASCAR Hall of Fame will again have three days of special events and programming, including an exclusive insider's experience, a brunch event with NASCAR NASCAR Hall of Famers, and a behind-the-scenes looks at pieces of racing history. So if you're in the Charlotte area in January or want to make plans, good event to attend. All right, sure, and we're going to start the next group uh, one by one here. No, yeah, we'll go. We'll go uh, from the bottom up. I'll go ahead and do the lead in, and then we'll start from right. the bottom up. Okay. Uh, let me get to the lead in here. This is a lot that we're going to be uh, covering here. Uh, it's the scouting of the playoff challengers heading into race number twenty-eight of thirty-six of the NASCAR Cup Series. Now, the best of the best in NASCAR are putting it all on the line this season for the Bill France Performance Cup Trophy and the NASCAR Cup Series Championship. And it's no surprise that the level of competition continues to rise throughout the playoffs. Uh, we're going to take a look at all 16 contenders and their statistical outlet to be heading into Richmond this weekend. Again, we're going to go bottom up. And uh, Jay will cover the first two, and then we'll go two by two all the way up to the top. All right. Well, I've got to start with Michael McDowell. He's driver of the number 34 front row motorsports Ford, currently ranked 16th in NASCAR Cup Series playoff standings, has a total of 2,006 points, 20 points back from the playoffs round of 12 cut line. This season, McDowell has posted one win, which came in the Daytona 500, two top fives and five top tens, 
in 27 starts. He's led a total of 26 laps, has an average finish of 20.3. He also ranks 24th in the series in season-to-date driver rating with a 63.2. Michael or McDowell opened the 2021 playoffs by finishing 37th at Darlington Raceway after he was being caught up in the multi-car accident. Now looking to Richmond this weekend, McDowell has 20 starts at the short track, hosting a best finish at 12th, which came in 2016. Finished 27th at Richmond earlier this season. His average finish on the three-quarter mile track is 31.950, the 39th ninth best among active drivers. Now McDowell also ranks in the top 40 in three key pre-race loop data categories at Richmond, his average running position is 31.887, 37th best. The driver rating is 44.5, which is 35th best. And laps in the top 15 is 178 laps, or 2.2%, which is 30th most, <clears throat> is William Byron. He's driver of the number 24 Hendrick Motorsport Chevrolet, currently ranked 15th in the NASCAR Cup Series playoff standings as 2,017 points, which puts him nine back from the playoffs round to 12 cut line. On the season, Byron has posted one win, nine top fives, and 16 top tens in 27 starts. He's got a lead a total of 276 laps. Average finishes has an average finish of a 113.9. That can't be right. I don't know what that's supposed to be, but that's not right. Uh, he also ranks 12th in the series in season-to-date driver rating. is at 84.4. Opened the 2021 playoffs by finishing 20th at Darlington Raceway. When we look at Richmond this weekend, Byron has posted one top 10 uh, finish in six starts. Average finish on the three-quarter mile track is 16.33 which is 15th best amongst active drivers. He also ranks in the top 25 in the three key pre-race loop data categories at Richmond. The average running position is 15.420, which is 12th best. The driver rating is 77.5, which is 14th best, and laps in the top 15 at 1,231 laps, or 51.2%, which is 21st most. Okay, next up we have Kyle Busch in the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He's ranked 14th, uh, just 2,024 points uh, back and two points from the playoff uh, round of 12. So he ran into some bad luck last week at Darlington that kind of put him in a little bit of a hole here. Uh, But he has collected two wins. 11 top fives and 16 top tens in 27 starts. He's also led 247 laps and has an average finish of 13.0. He ranks fourth in the series season-to-date driver rating at 97.5. And the two-time Cup Series champion in 2015 and 19, uh, Bush has opened the 21 playoffs by finishing 35th at Darlington Raceway after being caught up in an incident with RCR's Austin Dillon. Now, heading into Richmond this weekend, 
Bush has put up the series most six wins, 18 top fives, and 24 top tens, and 31 starts at Richmond. His average finish there in the third quarter mile track is 6.806. That's the series best among active drivers. Also, Bush ranks in the top five in three key pre-race loop data categories at Richmond, including average running position of seven, a driver rating of 110.1, that's the series best, and laps in the top 15 at 11,079 laps, which is 89.1%. That's the second most. Alex Bowman also uh, from uh, Hendrick Motorsports in the number 48 uh, finds himself ranked 13th in the playoff standing, uh, 2,026 points. He's the first position outside the playoff round of 12 cut line. So Reddick currently holds the tiebreaker with Bowman due to their finishes at Darlington. So Reddick finished 18th. Bowen finished 26th, and that's why he's below the cut line. Now, this season, Bowman has posted three wins, six top fives, 13 top tens, and 27 starts, including a win at Richmond Raceway earlier this year. He has led 151 laps, and he has an average finish of 14.6 on the year. He also ranks 11th in the series, in season-to-date driver rating at 85.1. Bowman was caught up in an incident, and he finished the opening race to the playoffs at Darlington in 26th place. Uh, That win this year, this uh, week, has to give him some confidence heading into Richmond this weekend. Bowman is the most recent winner at the track, and in total, he has made two starts there, posting one win and one top five finish, uh, along with two top tens. His average finish on the three-quarter mile track is 21.60, 21st among the active drivers. Bowman also ranks in the top 25 in three key pre-race loop data categories at Richmond, uh, his average running position, 22.204, is 23rd best. His driver rating, 65.5, is 20th best. And laps in the top 10, uh, I'm sorry, top 15, are at 1,399 laps, representing 35% of the total. That's the 16th best. So uh, he's looking to try to get himself above the cut line as well. Tyler Reddick, though, is already there, Jay. Well, currently, in the national innings with 2,026 points. Right now is the last transfer spot to the round of 12 in the playoffs. Now, he holds the tiebreaker with 13th place Alex Bowman due to their finishes at Darlington, Reddick with an 18th, and Bowman with a 26th. On the I top and in seven starts. He's led it at finish point seven. He ranks four is in season driver rating point one. Now Reddick starts 
playoffs camp play raceway. We look ahead to weekend. Medic has made two starts, posting a best finish of 11th coming in 2020. He finished 20th at Richmond earlier this season. His average finish on the three-quarter mile track is a 15.5, just 13th best among active drivers. He also ranks in the top 25 in the three key pre-race loop data categories at Richmond. His average running position is 15.438, which is 13th best. A driver rating of 73.8 is 16th best. Laps in the top 15 is 431 laps, a 53.9%, which is 24th most. Just above him, the number 10 Stuart Haas Racing Ford, driven by Eric Elmarola. That puts him in the 11th spot in the standings with 2,029 points. He's got a three-point margin over the round of 12 cut line. For the season, Almirola has one win, two top fives, and three top tens in his 27 starts. He has led 51 laps as an average finish of 20.8. He also ranks 21st in the series in season-to-date driver rating at a 65.3. Almirola kicked off his 2021 playoffs finishing 16th at Darlington Raceway. As we head to Richmond, Almirola has posted two top fives and seven top tens in his 18 starts. His average finish on the three-quarter mile track is 15.05, which is 12th best among active drivers, and ranks in the top 15 in three key pre-race loop data categories. For Richmond, average running position is a 16.496, which is 15th best. The driver rating is 78.2, 13th best. And the laps in the top 15, 3,133, or 43.4%, which comes out to 11th most. Okay, Chase Elliott in the number 900 Motorsports Chevrolet is 10th in the point standings at 22,000. 30 points, and he's four points ahead of the playoff round of 12 cut line. Uh, Elliot has posted two wins, 11 top fives, 16 top tens, and 27 starts. He's also led 337 laps and has an average finish of 11.8. He ranks third in the series in season-to-date driver rating at 99.9, and the 2020 Cup Series champion, Elliot, started the 2020 21 playoffs with an incident and a 30 place finish, 31st place finish at Darlington Raceway. Looking at Richmond this weekend, Elliott's made 11 starts uh, with three top fives, four top tens, and an average finish of 12.091, sixth best among active drivers. He also ranks in the top 15 in three key race, key pre race loop data categories. At Richmond, average running position of 12.959, 8th best. Driver rating, 85.9, 11th best. And laps in the top 15, 2,899, 65.7% of the total, 12th most. Christopher Bell in the number 20 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota is ninth at 2,031 points, just five points ahead of the cut line. Now, this season, Bell has posted one win, four top fives, ten top tens, 
in 27 starts. He's led 78 laps and has an average finish of 17.1. He also ranks 12th in the series season to date driver rating with 84.4. He opened the 2021 playoffs, finishing 20th at Darlington Raceway. At Richmond, Bell has posted one top five, one top ten in just two starts. His average finish at the track is 9.5, fourth best among active drivers. He also ranks in the top 25 in pre-race loop data categories. As average running position is 12.661, seventh best. Driver rating is 91.1, eighth best. And laps in the top 15, 575 laps representing 71.9% of the total for 23rd most. Next, we go up to the number two, Team Penske Ford, driven by Brad Keselowski to wrap up this season. Currently eighth in the standings, has a total of 2,038 points, 2,038 points, 12 points ahead of the cut line. Kozlowski has posted one win, seven top fives, and 11 top tens in 27 starts. He led a total of 302 laps. His average finish, 14.3. He ranks 10th in the series in season-to-date driver rating with an 86.5. And the 2012 NASCAR Cup Series champion opened the 2021 playoffs by finishing 7th at Darlington. For Richmond, he's posted two wins, six top fives, and 12 top tens in 23 starts. The average finish on the three-quarter mile track, 12.304, which is eighth among active drivers. He also ranks in the top 10 in the pre-race loop data categories for Richmond. Average running position is 9.881, which is fourth best. Driver rating is 100.5, which is fourth best. And laps in the top 15, 7,288, 79.1%, which is seventh most. Kevin Harvick, not the year he's looking for, but doing okay. The number four, Stuart Haas Racing Ford. Seventh in the standings, has a total of 2,046 points. He's got a 20-point gap ahead of the cut line. He's collected seven top fives and 17 top tens. Led a total of 129 laps. The average finish, 11.2. He ranks ninth in the series season-to-date driver rating is 89.4. The 2014 NASCAR Cup Series champion opened the playoffs this year by finishing fifth at Darlington. For Richmond, Harvick has posted three wins, 15 top fives and 26 top tens in 40 career starts. Average finish on the three-quarter mile track, 8.406, second best among the active drivers. Also ranks in the top five in the pre-race loop data categories. Average running position is 7.204, which is the series best. Driver rating is 109.8, and second best. And then the laps in the top 15, 11,934 which equals 93.0%, and that's the series most. Okay, next up we have Joy Logano in the number 22 Team Tensky Ford. He's ranked sixth in the point standings at 2,047 points. He, that puts him 21 points ahead of the cut line. 
This season, he's posted one win, eight top fives, 14 top tens in 27 starts. He's led 409 laps and has an average finish of 13.3. He also ranks seventh in the series season to date driver rating at 95.4. The 2018 series champion, Ladano, has opened the playoffs, finishing eighth at Darlington. At Richmond, he's, uh, he has two wins, 11 top fives, 14 top tens in 24 starts. His average finish at the track is 10.50. That's fifth best among active drivers. And Lodano ranks top 10 in three key pre-race loop data categories. His average running position, 12.427. That's fifth best. Driver rating, 93.4th is sixth best. And laps in the top 15, 5,970 for 62.1%, which is eighth most. Ryan Blaney in the number 12 team Penske Ford is ranked fifth with 2,048 points. He has the 22-point gap from the cut line. Now, Blaney's collected three wins eight top fives, 14 top tens in the 27 starts, and has led 327 laps with an average finish of 12.1. So ranks eighth in the series in season-to-date driver rating at 89.5, and he opened the playoffs at Darlington with a 22nd-place finish. At Richmond, he's posted uh, a best finish of 11th in 10 starts. His average finish at the track is 23.5. That's 26th best among active drivers. He ranks in the top 25 in three key pre-race loop data categories. Uh, His average running position, 19.614, is 19th best. Uh, His driver rating, 63.3, is 24th best, and laps in the top 15 at 1,263 laps, it representing 31.5% is 19th most. Kurt Busch still in the number one Chip Ganassi Racing Chevrolet till the end of the year. Currently ranked fourth in the standings, 2,052 points. He's got a 26-point uh, cushion to the cut line. Collected one win, four top fives, and 10 top tens in 27 starts. He's led a total of 188 laps. Average finish is 13th in the series season to date driver rating with 83.3. And the 2004 NASCAR Cup Series champion kicked off the 2021 playoffs with the sixth place at Darlington. When we look at Richmond, Bush has put up two wins, seven top fives and 13 top tens in 40 starts. The average finish on at Richmond at 13.91, which puts him 10th best among the active drivers. His rank is top 10 in the pre-race loop data categories for Richmond. Average running position, 12.475, which is 6th best. A driver rating, a 93.8, 5th best. And laps in the top 15, 8,709, or 67.9%, which is 4th most. Third spot is uh, Martin Truex Jr., driver of the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, sitting at 2,062 points, 36 points ahead of the cut line. 
Truex has picked up three wins, nine top fives, and 14 top tens on the year. Led a total of nine or 695 laps. Average finish is 12.6. He's fifth in the season-to-date driver rating, a 97.1. In the 2017 NASCAR Cup Series champion, Truex opened with a fourth place at Darlington Raceway. Looking at Richmond, Truex has put up two wins, seven top fives and 13 top tens in 30 career starts. Average finish is 16.90, which is 16th best among active drivers. He ranks in the top 12 in the three key pre-race loop data categories for Richmond. His average running position, 13.219, which is 11th best. The driver rating is 93.3, which is 7th best. Laps in the top 15, 7,999 for 66.5%, which is 6th most. Okay, next up are our top two drivers, Benny Hamlin. In the number 11, Joe Gibbs Racing is second with 2,072 points but has a guaranteed spot in the next round with his win at Darlington just last weekend. This season, he's posted one win, 14 top fives, 18 top tens, and he's led 967 laps with an average finish of 8.8. He also ranks second in the series season-to-date driver rating at 108.1. Hamlin opens this playoff at, at Darlington by snapping the 31 race winless streak that dated back to Talladega in October last season. With the win, Hamlin also tied NASCAR Hall of Famer Tony Stewart for third most playoff wins all time at 11 each. Now, heading into Richmond, Hamlin has posted three wins, 14 top fives, 18 top tens, and three poles in 29 starts. His average finish on the uh, track is 9.0. That's third best among active drivers. He also ranks in the top five and three T-race loop data categories. Uh, The average running position of 8.083, third best. Driver rating, 107.8, third best. And laps in the top 15 at 9,819 laps, representing 84.5% also third most. Our leader is Kyle Larson in the number five from Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. He's ranked first uh, and has points of 21.06. He has five wins this season, 15 top fives, 19 top tens, and he's led 1,722 laps with an average finish of 9.4. He also leads the series and season-to-date driver rating at 110.9. He opened uh, the playoffs with a runner-up finish to Denny Hamlin at Darlington. At Richmond, Larson has put up one win, two top fives, and five top tens in 13 starts. His average finish at the track is 12.231, seventh best among active drivers, and he ranks in top ten in the pre-race loop data categories. His average running position is 13.210, 10th best among the drivers. Driver rating 87.6, 9th best in laps in the top 15 are at 3,645, representing 69.9%, which is 10th most. 
So uh, we pretty much covered all of the drivers. It's already time now, though, for our Hot Topic Sound Off, so we won't be able to tell you too much more. But uh, uh, I think uh, having an overview of where the drivers stand from the season as well as at Richmond is a good prelude uh, to the race coming up this weekend. Uh, most certainly, and tells you how exciting it's going to be, both at the cut line as well as at the top, as these guys look to secure a spot so they don't get knocked out as we get further into the playoffs. Okay, Jay, as we go ahead and transition into hot topics, why don't we cover our fantasy group at this point? All right. Uh, good news, bad news on the truck series. Sharon, you still have the point lead, but it's down to one. You're at 76. Mike is at 75. Uh, Andy's up to 73. I stayed at 69. Owen jumped up to 67. Then Sam and Tommy at 64 with James at 44. The Xfinity Series, I stretched a little bit of a gap, if you will. I got six-point lead. I'm at 96. But Andy and Mike are tied at 90. Sam is at 85. Sharon, 83. James at 80. Owen and Tommy tied at 76. I think that's our tightest one, 20 points top to bottom. On the cup side, I retook the lead here by a point. Uh, got a point back over Sam. I'm at 135. Sam's at 134. Owen has jumped right up in there now at 127. Mike at 122. Sharon at 121. James at 105. Yeah. And Tommy at 101, Andy at 64. And that puts the totals overall. Uh, myself at 300, Mike's at 287, Sam at 283, Sharon at 280, Owen at 270, Tommy at 241, and James is at 229, and Andy at 227. I uh, got to give a big shout out to Owen on the weekend. I think he picked up two of the playoff victories for a total of 32 points in two races. So he made some big jumps here in the as we get into the playoffs. Yeah, playoffs and double points. Uh, it, that's going to happen. <laughs> I hope I can be one of those. I'm during this playoffs. Uh, we'll have to see uh, as this continues. But uh, uh, still in single points uh, for the Xfinity series, but in a couple of weeks, that's going to change. So um, uh, thank you again for taking care of uh, keeping track of all of that for us, Jay. And uh, I want to welcome Tommy into the show as we get ready for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. We're always happy to have you here, Uh Tommy, so I'm glad you're able to make it tonight. I'm going to let you kind of kick us off for the hot topics here tonight. So what are we going to talk about first? Let's go with the Bush Clash being moved from Daytona to the L.A. Coliseum, um, possibly. Okay. Jay, your thoughts? Well, I know, Sharon, you and I already talked about this um, there's several things I look at. I, I like the idea that they are taking an exhibition race and marketing it in possibly a new marketing area. Uh, however, the logistics of it, and I'm going to read Mike's here. Uh, 
He said he's seen it kicked around, but he'll still believe it when he sees it. The logistics don't really work out with the current template of the clash being the same weekend as the Daytona 500 pole qualifying. And getting rid of the clash at Daytona would also hurt overall Speed Week's attendance. So I, I, I understand that, and I see that, and this is where Sharon and I talked about. The logistics of it during that time frame seems really uh, excessive and out of the ordinary to do, especially when you talk about the Daytona 500 and Speed Weeks being the kickoff to the season. Now, I know in years past they've tried to cut down on what used to be a month or so of time at Daytona, trying to shorten that up. The drivers, I know many of them talked about liking that coming in for a little over a week or less, uh, depending on if they were in the Bush Clash or not, or the Clash. I don't know if it's got the Bush sponsorship anymore. But I, that's one, I think they're better off moving the all-star race versus the Clash. I mean, the Clash has been been with Daytona and really works in as the opening part of Speed Weeks and the kickoff to the tw- uh, NASCAR season. So from that side, I'm not real sure about it. The second would be the race inside of the Coliseum. I know we've seen some different things done, and I'm all for trying new things. Uh, So we'll have to see how that plays out. I wouldn't pass judgment on that as of yet until we've seen how they perform it and how it turns out. Uh, I like the idea that they are willing to try new things, though. Yeah, I've I've been thinking about this since we talked, Jay, so I'm going to kind of bring up a couple of other thoughts here uh, about that Coliseum idea. I, I do think that um, what NASCAR might be trying to do here is have an East Coast, West Coast grand opening, if you will, of the season. And part of doing that, I think, is to increase viewership and to really get uh, people on both sides of the country uh, kind of excited about the, the 2022 season and the introduction of their new next-gen car. So I, like you, want to wait until I see what happens with it to really pass judgment on it. But one of my initial thoughts was that, wow, uh, years ago we used to race at, uh, here in Illinois, we used to race at Soldier Field. Uh, and so I wonder if it's even possible that they could do that uh, in Chicago since they took away our Chicagoland Speedway event. Uh, wouldn't that be interesting? And that kind of opens the door for that as a possibility. How realistic that is, I don't know. I know they're talking more about doing the street course thing, but I think logistically that's going to be a nightmare in Chicago. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens uh, with all of that as the schedule is introduced. Now, keep in mind, these are things that have been leaked to the media uh, in anticipation of the 2022 schedule coming out uh, sometime next week. So um, uh, I, I like the idea uh, of them trying something different, uh, very similar to what Jay has said. Uh, but I, the more I think about it, the more I think that they're looking for that East Coast, West Coast uh, pizzazz, if you will, or uh, just the exuberance of uh, opening the season on the two different coasts. And the L.A. Coliseum just might do it. 
uh, and I'm kind of anxious to see how that would play out, given that uh, um, we haven't done that yet. Uh, I do think that NASCAR is trying to minimize uh, the whole two-week opening of the season out at Daytona. And so this is their attempt at doing that uh, with the East Coast-West Coast uh, grand opening, if you will. So, Tommy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Uh, I'm with Mike. Uh, I want it to stay the same. Bush Clash at Daytona. And not only when I say the same, I don't want the road course. Let's bring it back to the Oval um, and get the full speed weeks. Keep it the same. Uh, I give them credit for the idea, but I have to agree with Jay. I think that if they want to do the L.A. Coliseum, they should explore that as an all-star race or something like that or an exhibition race. But let's keep the Bush Clash at Daytona and keep Speed Weeks the same. It's been that way for a long time. I know it sounds really old school, but seriously, it works. Don't change it. Um, and, oh, I'm sorry. and seriously, the, the road course, I didn't mind the road course. And also, I feel like when I was younger, I remember the Bush Clash being the Bud Shootout, and it was at night. Um, maybe they should bring that back, because I do remember those races. I was always excited and pumped up for them. And I did enjoy the road course this year, but I would still prefer to see um, the Oval. Okay, Jay. Well, Tommy, I, I'm not sure you're old enough to be set in your ways as far as stay, saying keep it the way it's always been. You're not you're not old enough to be that in that category yet, are you? Um, the one the one thing in talking about it, I, I like I, I hear what Sharon's saying of, of starting the season, getting getting the uh, both the West Coast and the East Coast, everybody involved all at the same time. Now, it would be curious to see the time frame, maybe they bump it to a week or two earlier versus that week of. And talk about the logistics of it. It's not for all teams since it is the clash and only certain teams are eligible. Uh, and I hate to say it this way, but it's the top teams who can afford to send a car or a team out there with a hauler and a car or two, um, as well as then the drivers fly out there maybe just for the weekend versus the entire, uh, I want to say traveling circus of NASCAR, but the entire industry being out there for a race. So that kind of lends me to think that, you know, maybe if you're talking amongst the top teams, they're okay with it. I know it's an expense, obviously, versus the Daytona, uh, different than what it would be. But And, and I was thinking back, and it, when we talk about opening the season, it used to be opened at Riverside, California, but that was normally a month in advance of Daytona, uh, if I recall. And again, that's a little before my time, but I am semi-familiar with it. So we might see that that the clash might be a couple weeks uh, towards the end of January or just at the beginning of um, February and not right the week of leading into all of the Daytona 500, the duels and qualifying, and then the race. So be interesting to see where they schedule it and what time frame uh, it can be done. I'm sure they are working on that as far as making sure the logistics and timing of it does work for all the drivers and teams involved. 
So, like I said, it, it could be a good thing. We'll have to wait and see. I think it, I just think it would have been easier to m- manipulate and work with the all-star race versus the clash. And then when Tommy mentioned, you know, the road course uh, being the clash, I know they did that this past season. I don't know what their thought was. I know they wanted to kind of give some time on the track and develop that road course as well as in the past we've seen it of that gives that certain 500 preparation for drivers if they were trying to eliminate that. So a lot of different things could Mm -hmm. be coming into play as to why NASCAR is even considering it or thinking about it. Yeah. Another thing I thought about, John, or John, what did I tell him about that, Uh, Jay, (laughs) is that John We have a new new person to the team? (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say, John is my brother, so... Um, anyway, another thing to kind of think about in all of this is that typically because of the weather uh, in the early part of the season, uh, they do a West Coast swing during the late February, early March time frame. So it's very possible they may kick off their West Coast spring swing with the clash rather than doing it before the Daytona 500 as part of that season opening and including the West Coast as well as the East Coast. So that's how I kind of thought maybe they would uh, uh, maybe incorporate that to make it more logistically feasible. But I do understand where Tommy's coming from, too. Uh, A lot of fans uh, like the tradition of NASCAR and would like to see that whole Speed Week's gala, if you will, and I know a lot of people kind of plan a huge vacation around Daytona at that time of the year so that they can be there for all of speed weeks as well as 100. I just think that NASCAR is looking to kind of tone that down maybe just a little bit and put all of their eggs into the Daytona 500 and the festivities uh, that are uh, about that season opening uh, points paying race. You've got the duels that are, are there. Uh, you've got all three series that are racing uh, during that weekend to open up all three of the series and, and their activities. Uh, the Arkham Menard series, I think is all part of that as well. So I think there's, there's a lot that can be done to still make it a very festive event um, and a very festive week. It's just that, again, if they're looking to kind of tone down maybe a little bit uh, that whole Speed Week thing and make it a one-week gala versus a two-week gala, uh, I could see that happening. Um, But I understand where the traditionalists are coming from as well. Uh, I just think that NASCAR is looking to kind of shake it up a little bit, and this would be a huge shake-up for sure. Uh, and uh, I, I can see them making it more of a gala uh, West Coast swing to kind of engage those fans as well. So, Tommy, you get the last work on, word on this. Now, I like the idea of them doing the L.A. Coliseum. I think that's cool, and they should still explore that. But I really did miss the uh, Bush Clash the uh, Super Speedway Daytona night race to start off the season. I mean, the road course was good. I, I did like it. I would just prefer that it would be 
the bud shootout with the, the under the lights to start it off. Um, that's what I remember from the mid to early 2000s. I miss it. And like like I said earlier, I like the idea of it staying with speed weeks. And I did like Jay's idea of maybe exploring it as the all-star race. But I did see this on Twitter, and I did kind of want to bring it up. I mean, NASCAR is trying yeah. to get into that market. And, um, I mean, I don't know who the sources were on Twitter, but I was just seeing it was just out there. But, like, <clears throat> NASCAR is trying to explore that West market because they only have Phoenix and, like, Sonoma, and they have Auto Club in Vegas. So, you know, they're looking elsewhere, but at the same time, the attendance and, like, the viewership or something with some of those West Coast markets aren't as good as the other races. So I thought that was interesting. So they're just trying to explore. Uh, I mean, I get the idea with it with the Bush class, but I, I just wish it would stay the same. Okay. And 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 that's why we like to do hot topics because we get a lot of different points of view here. So I think it's all good. Okay, Jay, you get to bring up the next uh, hot topic. Well, I kind of transitioned to that, and that's the overall. You mentioned it, the 2022 schedule, uh, over full schedule expected to be released. And now I shut that down. Darn it! Uh, here within a week or two, I believe, is what Bob Pockris reported. Two of the changes, as Sharon mentioned, kind of leaking out already, would be Gateway gaining a Cup Series race and Pocono thus losing one. Okay. So uh, what are your thoughts about that, Tommy? Uh, I'm excited for another short track. Um I haven't really seen the Pocono races uh, recently. I think I've missed in the, the past two years. But I did notice when I did catch one like three or four years ago maybe that they had put that inside barrier on that wall and there's there's no longer that back stretch with the grass where like Steve Park had that crash with Junior. Um, but I'm excited to see Gateway. I'm not really going to miss Pocono because I don't remember – I mean, I – I hate this to say this, but I don't really remember a, a race there in the past couple of years that was memorable to me. Um, like the last couple of good ones I remember was like Denny Hamlin. I think he swept Pocono his rookie year or something like that. Um, and then there, they used to have really bad crashes there, and that's changed as well. Which I mean, that's a good thing, but I'm just. I'm just saying, Gateway is awesome. I saw the truck race there, or I think they just raced there a couple weeks ago. I think Sean Creed won. I'm all for the short tracks. And if there was another super speedway out there, I'd love for them to get another one of those on the schedule, too. Okay. I think that, for me, it seems to me like um, their strategy is starting to unfold um, with regard to closing down Chicagoland Speedway and then uh, bringing in Gateway, uh, another Illinois track. Gateway kind of makes sense from the perspective. It's a gateway from the east to the west, and uh, uh, I can see them playing that up quite a bit. 
uh, as part of uh, bringing the NASCAR Cup Series uh, to that short track. Uh, I agree with um, uh, Tommy. I think it's great that they're bringing another short track into the schedule. I think Gateway has a lot of potential uh, for some exciting racing uh, at that track. We've seen it with the truck series. I think there's, I think there's been an Xfinity series race there. Uh, I know even IndyCar has raced at Gateway, so uh, I see a lot of potential there, uh, and I, I do see them transitioning from Chicagoland Speedway into uh, Gateway for all of those reasons. So uh, I agree also with Tommy about Pocono not really being memorable races. Uh, and that uh, I think that the the whole stage racing has made that racing a little bit better, uh, but I don't think they deserve the two races on the schedule. I'm glad to see them taking a race away from Pocono in order to include uh, the gateway between the East and the West uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway. So I think it's all good. Uh, I hope that these things are actually going to happen. Uh, usually when they leak them at this point, just before the schedule comes out, uh, they end up being uh, exactly what happens. Uh, but I'm curious to know if there's any other changes uh, that they haven't leaked out yet uh, that are going to be kind of big news on the schedule when it does come out. But these two are pretty big, and uh, I'm all for it. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, I can't say all for it. Um, Gateway coming onto the schedule, great, awesome. I love it. What it could bring for the sport as far as another short track. You mentioned it is in the Midwest. Want to kind of say replaces Chicagoland, if you will, uh, as well as play a part into Iowa, maybe not getting one. Um, mm-hmm. Pocono has been on the list of if you're going to go to or not go to tracks twice, probably one of the first that fans looked at. And I think we've seen that over many years. They shortened them from 500 mile races down to 400. Sharon mentioned the stage racing coming into play, kind of changed that up, as well as the shortening of the races and doing the double on back to back days or possibly even doing it in the same day which I kind of thought maybe saved Pocono. They were the first one scheduled to do it. I know it didn't happen that way based uh, because of COVID, but we've seen that work out really well of doing the invert from day, one day to the next, uh, I think was a huge thing that they kind of were the first to do that with. So I thought that mm-hmm. might have saved them, and I guess it did for a year or two. But I, I would have to agree with you, you both when you talk about memorable Pocono races uh, without it being a crash, actual racing, uh, they're a little far and few in between. We've seen some great battles, but it does typically come down to a fuel, fuel mile strategy and not a side-by-side or real intense battle in the closing laps for the most part, which that's why I don't understand, though, of something Tommy said there of looking for another super speedway because a lot of times – I know on the high banks of Daytona and Talladega, obviously you get the pack racing. I think we got enough of those right now. If Talladega were to go to one, I wouldn't necessarily be heartbroken, but I think four is good for that, uh, two at Talladega, two at Daytona, uh, different conditions and different setups for them. 
So I'm kind of sad to see Pocono lose one, but I absolutely am in favor of Gateway getting one. Yeah, the, the only – oh, I'm sorry. Tommy, you're up next. Um, uh, Gateway is – I'm really excited that they're getting another short track. Uh, I won't really miss the Pocono losing a date. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to, to hate on Pocono because I have seen, you know, Jeremy Mayfield and Dale Earnhardt, uh, you know, seen highlights of that. I can't say that I remember it, but, I mean, that is an example, and I thought that was funny when he was interviewed in Victory Lane. Jeremy Mayfield said, I rattled his cage. So. But um, <laughs> from Steve Park and Dale Earnhardt Jr., I remember watching that race and seeing that wreck. I hate that that's one of the only things I remember from Pocono. There was the Casey Kane flip there in the nine Budweiser car. I remember that. I remember Ken Schrader catching his car on fire in, at Pocono. Um, I feel like most recently Bubba Wallace lost brakes and had a terrible crash in Pocono. But, I mean, I just – it's the tricky triangle, and it is a track that they do have to go to, but I think once a year is a good call. And I didn't want Daytona or Dega was the date. I was saying, like I meant, that – Keep those four, but add another super speedway. Make it five. But, I mean, I agree. Four is plenty, but maybe the Clash, uh, the Bush Clash being that fifth race, maybe they should keep that. Um, just I do like the pack racing, and I like the short track racing. And the inter- intermediate racing and road course racing, I do enjoy it as well, but just not as much as the short track racing and the super speedways. Yeah, I I really like uh, Jay's idea, thought of the double header that we had this year. It says that they're just losing a race date. So I think if they go ahead and do the double header at Pocono, it still gives it a little bit of flair as far as, uh, you know, an exciting event to be a part of at Pocono uh, and will still garner uh, big attendance at that track. So I'm kind of hoping that maybe they do keep the doubleheader at Pocono this year uh, because it is shorter races, uh, and I kind of enjoyed the racing that they did during that doubleheader weekend. So um, I would like to see that stay at Pocono, and I hope it does stay on the schedule. Uh, But I do think that going to Gateway is a good idea for all the reasons I mentioned before. The only thing that I'm a little bit concerned about is uh, their ability to be able to handle uh, the big attendance that a NASCAR Cup race is going to bring to them. I know going through St. Louis is not one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I travel down to Texas quite a bit, and I avoid St. Louis. I I go other ways uh, just so that I don't have to go through that traffic in St. Louis. So that's the only downfall that I see to it. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But I like the idea. I, I do think that uh, it's a good call uh, to give that a shot and uh, to see what they can do to kind of promote that, especially with it being the gateway uh, between the east and the west. So um, we'll see what happens. But uh, good call on my, uh, from my perspective. Uh, and I hope the doubleheader stays. Jay? You, you brought up an interesting point there of it saying it loses a date, not necessarily a race. 
But even with that, then you think somewhere it would have to um, still gain one unless NASCAR is looking at, and I know we've talked about this for years, of 36 races, that includes your, or 38 races, sorry, to include your two exhibition races. Might we see a transition back to the days of more races, but not necessarily over a longer time period? You talk about doing mm-hmm. the Pocono doubleheader. You could possibly do, even for one series, take the Cup Series of a Friday night at, say, Martinsville, Saturday night at Darlington, and then another one in that Richmond area. So it's one weekend, three races. So instead of one race per mm-hmm. weekend, you knock out three in one weekend, give them a weekend off, and you still have another open weekend instead of three weeks of traveling across the country now what impact that has on again your smaller teams your bigger teams they're going to be able to handle it they bring 10 20 cars down to daytona for for speed weeks because they know they need them um but that might be something they're looking at as far as transitioning to that you know they've toyed with the wednesday wednesday night race and then somewhere on the weekend so we know they're at least open and it's on the table and that kind of seems to be what might, we might possibly see it be transitioning back towards. I don't know if we'll ever go back to, you know, Richard Petty days of, what, 70 races, 60, 70 in a year. But they could expand it a little bit without expanding the overall I, time on the road. I need to interrupt you real quick. I we're kind of coming down to the wire here uh, for my announcement. And this is for our new listeners that are tuning in for the first time. We are going we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, so you'll hear us go off the air mid-sentence. But we are going to continue to record the recession, and that part of our conversation will be our bonus overtime material that's available on the podcast. So the way you can listen to that is I go out on Twitter to let you know that the podcast is available, and at that point you Fast forward to the two-hour mark, either at Blog Talk Radio's uh, player or at our players that's available at FanFracing.com. Just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear that bonus overtime material once the podcast is available. So, again, we do this for our first-time listeners uh, just so that nobody's caught off guard. So, Jay, if you have any more you wanted to say, go ahead and finish up. No, uh, that that pretty much wrapped it up. I will say this. Uh, Quentin messaged me. You know, you go back to, and I know we, we talked about this, of, of Pocono doing the two races within 60 days uh, back five, six years ago. Yeah, that really didn't work. Another possibility there when we talk about tracks maybe losing a second date would be Dover. I know that one is one that he mentioned. Um mm-hmm. So some of these others got to be worried. My only concern is when you talk about that, can one race per year sustain a track for the entire year? I know they have other races, other activities, or things they can use a track for, but is that really enough to get them through an entire year? And I know that's why we look at there haven't been any real new tracks uh, built in recent years. Yeah. We'll have to see how this plays out. I'm I'm anxious for that 2022 schedule uh, to come out. Okay, Tommy, it's your turn to bring up our next top topic. 
Did y'all go over Starcom selling its charter on a previous podcast? Uh, I'm not sure that we did, Jay. Uh, no, that was one that came up uh, in between, and then we weren't able to have hot topics for the two sessions, so that has had not been uh, talked about. Let's go with that, then. Oh. Okay, Jay, you're up. All right, looking back to it, I was looking at what Mike, I know Mike and I kind of went back and forth. Okay, yeah, he said uh, Spire Motorsports might be. It has said that they have sold their charter, but it did not say to who, and I haven't seen any more updates on it. Uh, I don't see it being Spire Motorsports, but I, I really don't know. My guess was more one of these teams that we've talked about coming in, a new team, uh, coming in possibly at 2311 with uh, now going to be Kurt Busch as a teammate to Bubba Wallace. I know there was a lot of talk that theirs was coming from Front Row Motorsports in some type of either buyout or merger. So it'd be kind of interesting. I know, who was it, JTG Daughtery said they were dropping down to one car because um, they didn't have the charter for the second team, and that just wasn't working. So it really kind of left me curious as to who, and there was no hints or anything as to who might have possibly got it. So Spire is the only one Mike threw out. I think it might be 2311 if the deal didn't work out with Front Row Motorsports. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because they mentioned several teams here that have left the sport, including Levine Family Racing, Jermaine Racing, Go Fast Racing, and now Chip Ganassi Racing, who was bought out by Trackhouse. Um, it, it is going to be interesting because with all these coming in, there are other teams that are leaving the sport, uh, and Starcom is one of those. But I do see um, kind of a trend, if you will, that is developing here. Uh, yeah, it doesn't tell us which team bought the charter. There's a lot of possibilities of who that might be. Uh, but I do see kind of a trend developing that what we've seen in the past is these smaller teams that haven't been able to compete with the bigger teams. And I think that what these smaller teams are trying to do now is kind of merge together uh, to kind of um, uh, take advantage of their resources to maybe be a more competitive team. And we've seen Trackhouse do that rather quickly uh, this year. Uh, we've seen Daniel Suarez race up in the top ten uh, fairly frequently throughout the season. And then now they've bought out tra- Chip Ganassi Racing, which is a big team, and they're going to be able to utilize those resources. So I think we're seeing kind of a trend of these smaller lesser competitive teams kind of being weeded out of NASCAR in favor of these bigger teams that might be more competitive with the mega teams of uh, Hendrick Motorsports and Joe Gibbs Racing and and so forth. So we'll have to see if that comes to pass with the new car that's supposed to be less expensive for teams to be able to uh, compete. Uh, if that actually comes to pass. But that's what I kind of sense is going on here with all of this. So, Tommy, what are your thoughts? Um, so, I think it's 
23XI or Spire as well. Um, but I do think there could be some other oddball options out there. Like I was thinking, Junior wanted to get involved. What if what if he was the one that purchased it? Um, I know that Newman was offered for Ralph Finway part-time, but what if maybe Brad was able to secure a charter or something? I mean, none of, none of this has been set on Twitter or anything. I'm just thinking in my head, thinking out loud what the options could mm-hmm. be. But I was also thinking that I saw where Bob Podcrass has said that the deal was basically done between Front Row and 23XI, that that charter was going to them and that Front Row was going to be a one-car team. And uh, I did see where JTG Daltrey is now a one-car team as well for next year. So um, couldn't be them. But I did see Spire out there on Twitter, and um, maybe it is just one of those eyeball options, like I said, that hasn't been confirmed yet, or maybe Front Row was able to still get a charter after selling a charter or something, or maybe, who knows, maybe even Richard Petty might have gotten a second car. I mean, well, he already does with Rick Ware. And that, when was Rick Ware going to sell his charter? So I thought that he was still going to do that too. So there's going to be a, a lot of cup teams. Like they might have to go from uh, more than 40 cars again. They might need to bring back 43, or maybe they will be doing qualifying and people will be going home on Sundays instead of racing. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, I do think with everything you've mentioned, whether it be the some of these other teams merging together, uh, if Front Row Motorsports did sell their second charter to... 2311, and they're a one-car team. JTG Daughter is a one-car team. They kind of work together to uh, semi-build a two-car team. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. We've seen that in the past. The one thing I look at, though, I think we are getting closer to, even if it stays at the count of starting uh, positions at 40, we're going to see 40 much better competitive teams. And I hate to say this about any specific team, but there are teams out there that just are not competitive on a week-to-week basis anyway. When it comes to your super speedways, yes, they have a chance. We saw that at Daytona uh, two weeks ago. But week in and week out, I think we're going to get to the point of seeing 36 to 30 uh, or more very competitive teams, which is what I would like to see. You know, if NASCAR opens it up then and we go back to 43, you're going to start getting some more of the the term called field fillers. I would like to see if it's 40 cars, it be the top, fastest, best 40 teams. And that's mm-hmm. where I'm in favor of qualifying. And, you know, I've said it before, pick your favorite driver. If it's Chase Elliott and for whatever reason, one week he isn't fast enough or whatever and doesn't qualify, the sport's not going to end. To me, it actually just increases the interest then the following week because they want to see if he can still maintain and get into the playoffs or get a top spot. So I would like to see that. Uh, you know, if you got 45 or 50 teams, but there's fast cars going home, I don't mind that because that means you got 40 of the best of the best in that particular race week in and week out. So hopefully that's the point we get to. Some of these teams mentioned Rick Ware, um, Starcom, go to the Xfinity Series, 
build there like we've seen Colleg Racing do. They built their program up. They're now ready to move it to the Cup Series, and they're doing so, and they've showed they got the, the setup and the right stuff going as A.J. Almendinger has already picked up a win for them. So some of these teams that have been the field fielders in the Cup Series run in the Xfinity Series, build your program, and then move up as a competitive Cup Series team. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I 100% agree with that. Sometimes less is more. So even some of these to one team, if they have one team that's really competitive uh, within the Premier Series, I think that's a that's a win-win for everybody. Um, and I, I, we've already shown that people can win a championship and not race a full season. So if somebody, you mentioned Chase Elliott, if he doesn't qualify one week and he's not in and he misses it, I agree with you. I think that increases uh, everybody being excited to see can he still make it into the playoffs uh, even though he missed a race or two. Uh, and so uh, I agree with you all the way around with everything that you said there, Jay. Uh, I think that this new car uh, is going to be less expensive. I think that's going to help some of these lower-funded teams uh, be more competitive. And we should have the best of the best drivers in those cars, and we've got a lot of talented guys that are coming up from the the lower tiers. But yeah, I think it's okay to see some of them. If there's not room in the Cup Series, stay in the Xfinity Series. Uh, if you're not being competitive in the Cup Series, go to the Xfinity Series or the Cup Series, like we've seen some of these guys do, and and compete. And it makes those series that much more exciting to watch. So. Uh, I I think that we're transitioning to a more competitive Cup Series, uh, and I think that they are going to make it more of a premier series uh, with the new car and with um, some of these changes that and trends that we're seeing within the Cup Series. So uh, I couldn't agree more, Jay, with everything that you said there. Tommy, your thoughts? I just remembered that uh, a couple of weeks ago or maybe a month or so ago now, we were talking on the podcast about um, another truck team because we know GMS is going to be part-time mm-hmm. and come next year. But we we were talking about another truck team that was trying to go to Cup. What if they were the ones that bought this charter and we don't know it yet? And oh, that's that possible. Team? Yeah. Um, and speaking of calling, what if they secured a second charter or what if GMS, Instead of doing part time, they secured a full time charter. I mean, there's there's so many possibilities, and you know, Ty Dillon still doesn't have a ride. Uh, neither does Matt DiBenedetto. Um, what about Newman? So, is there some team trying to form around one of those guys, or is in regards to Ty Dillon? I was going to say, is Richard Childress going to go three cars? Maybe. Uh, I mean, I know none of that's been. Said. I'm just speculating. But, yeah, there's just so many options, and I agree with you guys 100%. I like um, the 40 competitive cars on the field, nothing against Rick Ware and Starcom and those guys. I mean, and, and B.J. McCloud and Matt Tiff, but, like, they 
they're usually in that 30 to 40 range every race, except for Daytona and Talladega. They usually sneak a top 10 in there, which, um, I mean, Justin Haley even won one. So, mm-hmm. but maybe Spire, maybe Spire is going to go back to two cars. Time will tell the rest of that story, but I'm excited to see what the rest of that story is and how it all plays out. Okay, Jay, do you have another hot topic for us? Now, last week, keep in mind, last week we did all get cut off, so. Oh, that's right, yeah. We did all get booted right at 10 o'clock last week. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's been a, at least on a Sirius XM uh, topic throughout all the way through Wednesday was Kyle Busch in the news, unfortunately not for his performance <laughs> on track. He was involved in an accident. Uh, bringing it to the garage, and I can say I have not seen any of the video clip of how the situation happened. Come into the garage through a lane, apparently did knock over some cones, apparently, and mm-hmm. possibly, or the threat of it being safety with uh, fans or other personnel in the garage being a safety issue, and he was issued a $50,000 fine. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts about that? So um, I did not – I saw some of the race, but um, the Wi-Fi wasn't working very well, unfortunately, so I missed huge gaps of it. And then it was late – was this Sunday? I think that was – I was on the road for part of the race, too. But I did catch the end of it. I did see uh, Denny Hamlin win. I did not see Kyle Busch in that whole fiasco, but I did see on Twitter where – I saw like the video. He looked like he was just driving aggressively through the garage, knocked over some cones, was kind of speeding, and there were fans there. But, I mean, they moved out of the way. Um, I definitely get it. Um, he it wasn't really the smartest move, but, I mean, he did hit the pace car earlier this year in New Hampshire, and they didn't find him for that. So maybe this is a double whammy, like, stop acting like this, I guess. Here's your fine. But, um. I mean, he's got a chance to rebound a Richmond. He like the reason why I picked him today was I looked at the past winners of the spring and fall races in Richmond, and he has won quite a few of them. So um, he can certainly rebound. So I don't know why there was a need. I guess just frustration, but it didn't really look that bad. But it didn't really look good either. Just knock some cones over, like I said, and driving aggressively. Yeah, I I did happen to see it, and I thought it was pretty aggressive on his part. We know Kyle Busch can sometimes be a little bit of a hothead. He lets his emotions get the better of him at times. Uh, but what happened is, you know, he's below the cut line going into the, you know, the second race of the playoffs. So I'm sure he's anxious to win at Richmond. But from my perspective, uh, there were two things. I, I saw some people say that they thought he should have had points taken away instead of a financial fine, but I, I don't agree with that. I do think that they did the right thing with the with, by finding him monetarily versus the points. It wasn't something that happened on the track uh, that he was fined for. It was what was happening as he was going into the garage. So I don't think it should have been points. I think it should have been the financial penalty. Um, That money goes to the NASCAR Foundation, which is a very worthwhile cause. 
But I do think that you brought up the pace car incident with Kyle Busch. They didn't do anything. There was a lot of backlash about that. Uh, They felt that NASCAR should have done something then. So, yeah, I kind of feel like they were making up for for what they didn't do with that, with the with the financial penalty uh, here, uh, he did knock over cones. Those cones are there for a reason. Uh, so he pretty much disregarded the, the reason that the cones were there. And then there were people walking that had to kind of, you know, get out of his way when he was coming through there, rather aggressively. Uh, so I do see that as a bit of a safety issue. Uh, drivers should not be coming in there hot-headed uh, and driving that aggressively into the garage, especially in an area where there are cones put up to protect the people that are, are walking uh, behind those cones. So there, there is a safety factor here as well, uh, from my perspective anyway. I, I, I agree with the fine. Uh, I know that it was a heat-of-the-moment thing for Kyle Busch. I understand why he was frustrated. I understand why he was upset. But he's got to keep his emotions in check. You don't use your car uh, on the track that way, uh, especially where, where there is the potential for people to be hurt. Yeah, nobody was hurt this time. But NASCAR had to say something so that nobody gets hurt at some point in the future as well. So, Jay, your thoughts? Well, I'll start with agreeing with you, Sharon, and and arguing against Mike, even though he's not here. Mike is one that thought it should have been a points penalty, not the uh, monetary. I think that is an anti-Bush sentiment. Uh, I really do. Um, Yes, something did need to be done and said, a point made, However, the point I want to disagree with you on is if there is an opening there from the pit lane into the garage area, to me it is also a responsibility of the fans and maybe more than just a cone is needed, cones are there. But during a race, if drivers need to go to the garage area, in this case Kyle was done for the day going back, understand, out of the race. But if they're coming in where they can fix something and get back out, there's going to be movement. Fans want to be up close and personal in a race car driver's work area, okay? There's a risk with that. And, Sharon, you and I have been through tracks together, uh, say, during practice, when practice is going out on the track, teams in and out. The fans that are in that area have some responsibility to be aware of where they are and what could be coming like I said, during a race, at any point, a car could need to come into the garage area to be worked on. And if that's the case and the team wants to get them back out, they're going to be scrambling. There's going to be movement. So I, I'm not saying Kyle has no responsibility, and I don't know how well the car was handling at that point. Obviously, it was done for the day. had an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying it couldn't be ste- he couldn't have steered it as he got it to pit road. So I do see some of it on Kyle as a driver, whether he's up fr- upset and frustrated or not. Uh, like you mentioned, but it, to me, it is also some of those of being aware, being aware of where you are at in the garage area. And I think about this in a dirt track. It is an all open pit area. It's you know the lanes again. Mm-hmm. You know where cars are going to be coming. You don't know which garage line or uh, pit stall they're in. You need to be aware as well. So to me, it's a, a half and half thing. I think NASCAR did an appropriate job. They did say, hey, there's a safety concern. The fine of fifty thousand. 
you know, a slap on the wrist, wouldn't we say, as far as a monetary penalty? But it is that warning. And it may have been, like you guys mentioned, of, hey, this is the second time you've had some behavioral issues, if you will, uh, outside of racing itself. So that might have led to it. Uh, but they are saying, hey, yes, the driver's responsible. Be safe as you're coming into the garage. But also I think something needs to be said and done. Fans want to be in there and be up close and personal. You're in a work environment. You're in a traffic area. Be aware of where you're at. Okay, Tommy? Yeah, I definitely think that the the fine is appropriate versus taking the points. Um, I do think it's kind of a double whammy for the New Hampshire and then this incident um, making a point. Um, but yeah, he. I think he'll be fine. He'll rebound at Richmond, in my opinion. Um, looked at the stats; they look pretty good. So, just the heat of the moment, bad decision. Uh, I do kind of like Kyle Busch. I mean, you know, sometimes, like you said, he acts kind of hot-headed, but he also is kind of funny sometimes in those interviews as well. So. <laughs> But he does – I did watch the I Am Athlete with him, with Brandon Marshall and the NFL guys, Shadow Tosinko, and, I mean, he just – he was honest. Uh, he was – I never had seen him say stuff like that, so it made me look at him differently. But not a good decision at Darlington, and uh, he's going to pay for it. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, Jay, that the fans have a responsibility, and obviously these fans did take that responsibility seriously, uh, and were they were alert enough to be able to get out of his way. My problem is the emotion, kind of the road rage, if you will, of being behind the wheel of a 3,600-pound uh, 3, 3, vehicle or 3,400 pounds, whatever the weight is, uh, and not being fully, you know, when you're in an emotional state, you don't do rational things. (laughs) And that's what I have more concern about uh, than anything else. And Kyle Busch tends to do that sometimes. He's a great race car driver. Uh, There's no questioning that. But I think NASCAR was right in calling him on it and kind of bringing him in check uh, because you don't, do that with with your vehicle. Uh, let me tell you, if it comes between a contest between the pedestrians and the 3,400-pound vehicle, uh, the, the vehicle's going to uh, have the advantage there. So I don't want to see anybody get hurt in the garage uh, area. Uh, I don't want to see fans get hurt. And, yeah, that's one of the things we love about NASCAR is that we we want to be up close and personal to those things. Uh, and thank goodness these fans were alert enough to get out of the way. What happens if if that doesn't happen uh, at some point or he's just hot-headed enough uh, that he's out of control? The cone was there for a reason, and he just totally disregarded it. I have a problem with that. <laughs> so I don't think that's right, and uh, I think he should have been penalized. And I think we all do agree with that. So, Jay, you're, you get to wrap it up. Yeah, again, I haven't seen it, seen it, even any a replay of it, of how close people were, how uh, close it was. Uh, you know, I think of, okay, had there been a concrete wall there, would he have hit it? Probably not, which tells me he's in control of the car. He sees that there are cones there. He's like, okay, I'll blow off some steam. I'll knock over a few cones. 
Okay, now, if the cones are there, and again, that is what's alerting the fans to, hey, be aware in this area, how close they were. Again, if people were right there, would he have controlled his car better and not hit anybody? I'm thinking probably so. He probably was like, it's cones, I don't care, you know. So I think he probably had more control than what people think he did. The fine says, hey, you're you're in a little bit of a, a temper tantrum. We get it. But the cones were there, like you said, Sharon, to, for a reason. Don't just take them out just because you're mad, you know. Uh, go back to your mm-hmm. holler, punch something of your own that, that'll break or whatever. Don't know. But so <laughs> that's where I say it's kind of a 50-50, and I have no problem with the uh, $50,000 monetary fine. And from what I've seen, I haven't heard Kyle Bush lash back as far as anything um, of accepting it, not it not being an issue. So move on. Uh, it was one of those, I think people were more in an uproar because, again, I feel it's an anti-Kyle sediment. They wanted to see points and all this. I just think that's kind of an anti-Kyle thing. Okay. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up because we're coming up to the top of the hour here. So, Tommy, uh, why don't you start us off on the round table? Uh, follow me on Twitter, uh, Tommy C underscore 24, or at Sense95Fan. Um, I have not tweeted anything in a while. Uh, I should probably tweet something soon. Um, I'll get the pondering on what to say. And uh, I also need to probably write a new article, so I need to start thinking of something there as well. Yeah, and my apologies, guys. I have just been so busy this summer uh, that I've not been as good as I normally am in getting those articles out. So I will try to do a better job of that uh, in the future here. So, Jay, you're up next. Uh, you follow me, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh no, I talked about a Michael McDowell article. I'm going to do it to wrap up and include his position <laughs> in the playoffs, which looks like he's probably going to be out in the first round. Um, kind of anticipated that as we talked about it, but it will include the fact that he did make it and where they go from here, possibly as well of team or uh, the team itself as a whole uh, with that. See what news of that comes out in the next week or so, but Uh, With that, on Saturday, I'll be back uh, in action there as well as I was here tonight, your Capital City Raceway with the Cajun Mini Stocks visiting the Speedway for the first time in several years. And, uh, Jay, I know you've been super busy as well, so totally understand uh, the delay there. Uh, A big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in every week. We really appreciate you guys. And, of course, to our fan for racing crew, Tommy and Jay, that are here tonight. And all of the other guys that are participate uh, on a regular basis here uh, with Fan for Racing. I appreciate each and every one of you guys. Um, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter. We are Fan for Racing blog and radio uh, everywhere else, as well as FanforRacing.com. Uh, we'll have all the recaps from the races this weekend. Uh, definitely looking forward to the races at Portland on the road course as well as at Richmond Raceway this weekend. Uh, always uh, a lot of fun when we get into the playoffs uh, and uh, super excited about the weekend. So enjoy your race weekend. Again, just a couple of notes. We are going to be doing podcasts for our Thursday night show the next two weeks. Those podcasts will be coming out on Wednesday afternoon, and there will be no show on Thursday evenings. 
Uh, but we will be doing our shows on Mondays just as usual. And uh, just uh, uh, an alert to everybody uh, to watch for those. I'll be going out on our our team uh, site to kind of find out who could be available for Hot Topics on Wednesday uh, Wednesdays. And uh, we'll have more details for our fan racing crew with that. Uh, so watch for that information coming out on our team site. Okay. So with that, guys, uh, let's go ahead and call it a night. And uh, I hope everybody enjoys their weekend of racing. Have a good weekend. Okay. Good night, everybody. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.